For the first time in a long time, a Pacers mailbag answering the questions that you guys want to hear about, including on all-star stuff, on minutes for rookies, on trades, on second-round picks, and so much more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Wednesday, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, we're one day away from Pacers basketball being back. Tomorrow, we'll look ahead at the second half of the season, which means today is the perfect time for something I've been wanting to do for a while, and finally have the time to fit in, a mailbag. Hearing about the stuff you guys want to know more about or are curious about and diving into it today. Fielding questions from Twitter. I'm on there at Tony R. East. Also, we got updates on Aaron Neesmith that practice on Tuesday night. I talked one-on-one with Ron Artest. If you want to read stories about those things, Pacers SI is the way to go because that information matters. Let's dive in to the mailbag. If you see me looking down a lot, I got my phone. I got my screenshots up of the tweets. First one comes from Gene Turnbloom at G. Turnbloom says... Did it feel like Giannis and Dame intentionally kept the shine away from Halliburton during the All-Star game? Think they were getting back at him for the Dame time moment during the in-season tournament? And will it be extra motivation come playoff time for Tyrese? I think the last one would require the Pacers to play the Bucks in the playoffs. I saw this theory being floated a lot, and there's like one clip of an inbounds play uh, during the game where Giannis is like pointing at Dame to tell the inbounder to pass the ball to Dame. I also remember the Bucks head coaches, the head coach... For this All-Star game? Uh, my answer is no. I don't think they were intentionally freezing him out. I think what they were doing is trying to get them MVP. Uh, I don't think that they were saying, don't give the ball to Tyrese. I think they were specifically saying, yo, let's get Dame going because he hit two half-court shots. He was hot in the first half. He had the assist numbers. So they were getting the ball. That's kind of what teammates would do. That looks like... If you're rooting for the Pacers guy, that's going to look like what the question suggests. That's not what my take necessarily is. Uh, Dame played it very well. He had many highlight plays in the game, and that's what the All-Star game is kind of all about nowadays. So uh, I don't necessarily think they were freezing him out or it has anything to do with you know that moment. I mean, you, Giannis spoke glowingly of Ty like at All-Star Weekend, and even the, the, you know, their mic'd up conversation before the game, right, on the floor. So, uh, no, I don't think it had anything anti-Halliburton involved. I think it was more pro-Lillard and pro-Bucks uh, is my take, but I understand why it certainly looks that way uh, throughout the game. Uh, but Will Hall, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm not going to be the one to guess Tyrese Halliburton's motivations anymore. Like, he was motivated by a tweet from an account with 106 followers while shooting jumpers on the Pat McAfee show during All-Star Weekend. Like, he will be motivated by anything. If he thinks this is a slide against him, he will use it as motivation. Uh, anything is motivation for Tyrese Halliburton. If I say Tyrese Halliburton has a bad game and he hears it, perhaps he will use it as motivation, though I certainly hope he does not need me as a motivator. Brock Philburn, Philbron, excuse me, at the boss 1196 says, when will Jarris get consistent minutes? Whew. Consistent is a key thing here because uh, the answer might be next season, but even then you got to do some roster counting and trickery, right? So I don't think, let me be clear, I don't think the answer is going to be this season. They just sent him on a road trip with the Mad Ants in the G League right after, notably, the trade deadline because there's no minutes for him on the Pacers right now. There's just not. 
Um, that whether you think there should be or shouldn't be is a different question than this one, which is when will Jarris get consistent minutes? You know, I thought he'd start before the season, right? During the season, my take has been, I think he should play, not because I think he'll help the Pacers in any way, but because it's good for his development. But the Pacers aren't in the business of developing right now. They're trying to win and make the playoffs. And I understand their decision, and so it's easy to talk about that. No, they're not. They're playing the 10 guys they didn't give them, or 9 or whatever, give them the best chance to win within their reasonable rotation every night. And Jairus Walker's not one of those guys. And as it stands, Doug McDermott would probably be their third four if they really needed it, right? That kind of happened in, uh, on, on their road trip just now. So not... This season is the answer to me. Um, you know, they have 10 guys. Ben Shepard has been guy number 11 for much of the season. I'd say Jarris is probably guy number 12, although they have three centers that kind of make it cloudy because Isaiah Jackson is certainly above Jarris in the pecking order, can only play one position. I'm saying too many words, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, to answer the question of when, you kind of have to look beyond this season, right? Because Barring injuries, I don't think Jairus Walker is getting consistent playing time this season. Outside of maybe like if the Pacers playoffs, he'd get settled, or they're like playoff fate. Let's say they're locked into the seven eight game, or they're locked into the six seed, or whatever. But that might not happen. There's a very tight race this season. Uh, either way, I don't think it would be this season. Now, here's what's noteworthy: Doug McDermott, free agent after the season; Obi Toppin, free agent after the season; Jalen Smith, potentially a free agent after the season, I think we'll learn a lot about what timeline the Pacers have in mind for Jairus Walker with their actions in the summer. Because think think interestingly about the Pacers and their competing goals. Something that I actually think is is one of the things this front office has done that confuses me the most. They, they are very opportunistic. I think value-wise, they, they get good value in a lot of their transactions. But they're doing something that I think is so hard and oftentimes kind of ill-advised to do for teams and that's try to tow two lines at once with short-term and long-term and sometimes you have to in certain moments but you know they've talked about wanting to think long-term and some of their moves trading buddy healed away how they spent last summer prioritizing flexibility and making lots of draft picks right suggesting that yes they they are prioritizing long-term they also traded for pascal siakam and are a good team and all the players are saying we want to make the playoffs. So balancing the long and short term is tricky. But for a team that says they want to think long term, you'd think there'd be minutes for their lottery pick at some point. Maybe not in his rookie season, given the current state of their team, but at some point soon. So my answer to the question is, it kind of depends on the summer. But if if what they're saying is truly what they're hoping is the case, I think that they would like Jarris to be playing next year. So locked into the team next year. I'm under operating under the assumption that Pascal Siakam resigns. Pascal Siakam, Miles Turner, TJ McConnell, Ben Matherin, Tyrese Halburn, Aaron Neesmith, all returning. Andrew Nimhard returning. Like that's already a really full rotation, and you could add one more guy probably to that, right? Maybe it's Ben Shepard. Maybe it's Jalen Smith opting in because you still need to back up five with that group. Honestly, maybe it's Isaiah Jackson. Uh, who knows? But. Maybe it's Jairus Walker, and then Obi Toppin would not be on the team anymore, and Doug McDermott would not be on the team anymore, and you're more beat up about one of those than the other, and there's sign-and-trade options, and there's lots of confusing stuff. But that was a lot of spewed-out thoughts to say. I think what they're doing is fine this season. It makes sense. They can justify it that he needs to develop. He's playing a lot in the G League. I We talked to him at practice today, Tuesday, for you listening yesterday, and he said he notices, you know, he's noticed his improvement as a shooter throughout the season. I've noticed his improvement as a ball handler throughout the season. He's clearly getting better, I promise. I know people don't watch the man ends, but I promise he's getting better. I think he'd get better faster in the NBA. 
but they don't have room for them. And that's fine. I'm not killing them for that because I, everything they've done makes sense. But at some point, they have to play him. So to answer the question specifically, after blurting out a million thoughts about it, I think my answer is going to be, I think next season, but that we'll learn a lot in the summer because they'll have to make some decisions on their front court rotation and that flux will be important to Jairus Walker potentially getting opportunities because at some point either he's going to be a guy they hope he can be and he's going to be in their rotation and helping them win or he's going to be a part of a trade that helps them get someone who can do that and that depends on their timeline with competing last one in this first segment comes from Tim Manzella at Tim Manzella that's an easy one what would you consider more likely the Pacers getting home court advantage or the Pacers not making the first round of the playoffs at all well I would certainly say not making the postseason and that's just because of the standings although the Knicks skid into the break losing four in a row makes this plausible so here's what I would say is the play-in tournament is the reason I'm going to pick not making the playoffs because they're currently a half game away from a situation where two losses knocks them out completely, right? Versus they are not they're two games away from fifth and they're two and a half games away from fourth. Now they're very far ahead of the Bulls. The the Pacers as it stands uh, of me talking right now are four and a half games ahead of the Bulls. They are closer to the three seed than the nine seed right now. Uh, and they're playing fine enough. Pacers five and five in their last ten. That's not good. That's good enough to stay well ahead of the under five hundred Bulls for the rest of the season. So two let's just pretend Every game in the playing tournament is a 50-50 chance. That gives you a 3-4 and four chance to get out of the playing tournament if you're in the 7-8, right? So that's really good. That's so their chances of making the playoffs are still pretty good, even if they end up in the playing tournament, and that's already you know a chance that they could hold it off. But I think getting to 4 is very hard because I think the Knicks went healthier, good. So the reason this is a question, though, is the Knicks are manged up, and who knows how healthy they'll be coming out of the break, and the Sixers are missing Joel Embiid for a while. They're catchable. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, and that includes a miracle win in Cleveland, right? They're not playing well. So it's possible the Pacers could catch the 76ers. It's possible they could catch the Knicks, and let's talk about something noteworthy in this discussion as well. They have the tiebreaker over both of those teams, which matters potentially a good deal as the season progresses. Holding off the heat and magic is going to be tricky for the Pacers. I think... That the Pacers, you know, assuming they finish uh, the season roughly at their current winning percentage, will probably be closer to a play-in team than a home court team. Just because I think it's more likely that one of the Knicks or Sixers closes the season strong, and I would guess it's the Knicks when they get healthy. But, of course, if they never get healthy, that matters. I think they will, though. They upgraded at the trade deadline. So I don't. I think the odds are more likely the Pacers fall back to 7th and then there is a 25% chance they don't make the playoffs at all. And I don't think there's a 25% chance they catch the New York Knicks. That was a very Matthew way to answer that. Uh, but I think there's a chance they could make the playoffs as 5, uh, and that's not home court advantage. I think there's a chance they can make it as 6. It kind of depends on a lot of things. <laughs> but health will be a big factor for them. And games against the Heat and Magic. Very critical for the Pacers going forward. Plenty more to come on the Pacers and this mailbag, including some post-trade thoughts, stuff in Gamebridge Fieldhouse, all sorts of stuff. Before we continue to dive into all that, we have to talk about FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. If you're a new customer on FanDuel, you can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's a lot of money. That's $150 if your bet wins. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams on FanDuel with their quick bets, for example. They have live same-game parlays. A lot of people love those. Exclusive props only available on FanDuel. 
and plenty more. And again, 150 bucks if you're any winning $5 first bet wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot on FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. We also, very quickly, have to talk about LinkedIn. Small businesses. When you're hiring, you need to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. It's not just a job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals which makes it the best place to hire. Gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. So they are constantly making it easier. They even have a new feature for job descriptions. And they have 2.5 small businesses that use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. Again, that's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Man, it's been quieter on the NBA front of late. Lots of random little 10-day signings squeaking in. Those can be your second segment, but your real second segment should be locked on Nets because they fired their coach the day after the All-Star game. Jacques Vaughn out. Jacques Vaughn, one of my favorite interviews in the NBA, and that is no longer the case. Uh, but the Nets, a little stale. They needed to do something. I'm not sure if that's what I added on as the Nets, but hey, they did it. The Locked On Nets guys will explain it all, and the Nets last 12 months. Crazy. The Pacers, meanwhile, let's answer some questions about them. From Twitter listeners, Scott at Sting284653 says, Where does one go to eat in the field house? What's the go-to spot and meal? And why are regular NBA halftime shows so superior to the NFL halftime shows? I don't know a ton about the second part of that answer because I don't see very many NFL halftime shows. Um, love Red Panda, as I've said many a time. Love Frisbee Dogs. There's just a lot. I think I think you're farther from the court in the NFL uh, which maybe is a factor in what you can do. And the field is so big that, like, it's almost too big for entertainment. Like, the people are right by the entertainer when they're at midcourt on a basketball course. It's just There's just more you can do. It's more interactive. It, I don't know. Um, <laughs> halftime. I, I, I used to enjoy, like, I still watch a lot of halftime shows while I'm walking around the arena. Uh, there's some I sit in my C4. Uh, I think it's a fun part of games that they can get fans involved. Where does one go to eat in the field house? I don't eat in the concourses a ton because we have some media dining. Uh, there's Chick-fil-A, of course, if you're into that sort of fast food. If you're not, uh, there's a really good barbecue place on the, the top floor concourse of the foods that uh, people eat in the arena. I think that one is probably my favorite. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a candy and dessert bar that rolls around on the sweet level that always looks really good. I think those would be some recommended ones. Uh, and then again, Sting at, at Sting24635 says, Should the Pacers keep Jalen Smith? Seems like he is out more than he plays. Started the season, he was great. Yeah, well, his injury history ha has not been bad until very recently this season um, because he was phenomenal. And he still is phenomenal when he's playing this season. Like, he's reached the point where I think every shot he takes is going to go in. But yes, he has missed a lot of time. He missed four of the last seven heading into the break. He had that big stretch of like, playing one game out of 12 or something uh, in late November and mid-December. So in a season where the Pacers are now at 55 games played, I believe, I should have that number uh, readily available. Jalen Smith has played 38, right? So he has missed a big chunk of this season. They are lucky to have Isaiah Jackson playing and playing so well. 
Um, that is something to consider with his player option. His level of play specifically uh, would indicate he would opt out, and the Pacers would have to think about paying him more if they wanted to keep him. That is, of course, potentially a factor. What does the rotation look like towards the end of the playoffs? Scott asks, uh, or towards the playoffs, not the end of the playoffs, excuse me. I'd imagine late in the regular season, it depends on their situation, right? If they look pretty secure in getting a top six seed, they could probably stick with what they're doing and you know keep guys at reasonable minutes and even steal some rest when you can ahead of the postseason. If they're really fighting for seeding, I mean, obviously starters play more and in turn others play less. I think that you'd see less TJ McConnell. You'd see you know Tyrese Halburn would be the the uptick in minutes guy, and then Andrew Nemhard could seize some other ball handling duties if need be and. With Pascal Siakam, now a guy that you can rely on to create, you don't need the other point guard as often. You know, Nemhard can be your secondary creator in some of those situations if possible. I think Obi Toppin could be a guy who loses some minutes. Maybe that's in lieu of a Doug McDermott. Maybe that's in lieu of an Aaron Neesmith playing more. Maybe that's in lieu of Siakam just getting more minutes. But that is also something that would make a lot of sense to me. Basically, anybody who's in the same position as a star player and is already a reserve is going to potentially be hurt and then at all the other positions depends on kind of what the matchup requires right if you need some offensive punch maybe you turn more to Ben Matherin if you need more defensive punch maybe Ben Matherin loses time for Andrew Nemhard. you know if you need some rebounding Jalen Smith certainly going to be a guy who you go to turn to all the time you know they have a lot of options if you need shooting McDermott like you could go on and on but McConnell and Toppin seem like the two to me that in a pinch would be the two that the Pacers kind of turn away from not completely abandoning their production but uh, changing it up and how will the team chemistry without buddy spacing positivity and work ethic lost yeah i don't you know he's a very positive guy like most days all days he is someone that the pacers liked being around now granted remember he greg doyle had it had it out there that you know he his he uh, as a part of the trade as i bumped my screen to the side on accident uh, as a part of the trade like he kind of welcomed one right that's what Greg put out there. And so maybe that doesn't shake up chemistry that much, right? If it's somebody who um, had the desires of potentially or was was open to being elsewhere. And the the real loss in chemistry is on the court, right? Like him and Tyrese fit very well together. They played off of each other very well. Tyrese had played one game prior to the trade deadline his entire career without Buddy Heald, right? Undeniable on-court chemistry. Uh, and yes, he does. He's in the gym all the time grinding. Um, so that is a loss in that way. The hope would be that McDermott can fill enough of that shooting that it's not as big of an on-court impact loss as maybe something else could be or that others step up and fill the void as much as you can. I have said that I think they got worse at the deadline, not significantly so, but somewhat. Uh, we'll see if that actually bears out and happens. But yeah, I mean, it's going to change some things and others will become more important voices for the team. Buddy Hield wasn't the loudest voice, uh, but he was an important one. It's still uh, Pacer Faithful at JLH0215 says, With Buddy gone, what do you think is the best way to make up for the spacing and gravity loss with losing Buddy? Trying to play McDermott and hopes he'll return to form or play Shepard and hopes he finds his three-point shot. Between those two options, I think it's a, a lock that for the rest of the season. McDermott will be more valuable for spacing and gravity just because he has a reputation. right? Like On scouting reports, a lot of times these rookies are guys that don't play much. They don't get as long of a line, or they're so unproven, or their sample so small that it's hard to make big decisions on how to guard them. You know, so they're just guarded regularly, and uh, you know, even decent shooters like Miles Turner is a team, a guy that other teams sometimes are willing to leave open in the same way that Brook Lopez is for the Bucks. Like you have to leave somebody open at times to clog up the paint, 
And McDermott, even in in the at this stage of his career, and I think he's like three for eleven from three for the Pacers so far. Like there is a fear of like, uh oh, you know, if this guy gets a sliver of space, his release is quick, it's up high, it's going to be a, a good shot. He was at forty four percent for the Spurs. The Spurs had little creation and gravity, and he was just whipping them in for them. So I think he'll settle in at roughly that level of shooting for the Pacers. He's a known commodity guy with gravity. So of the two options presented, I think if you're trying to replicate as much as you can of what Buddy Heald's departure is gravity-wise, it's going to be McDermott, even if those two guys shoot the exact same percentage the rest of the season. Now, if it's like 20 games of Shepard at 45% and McDermott can't make anything, maybe that would change stuff, but I'd imagine... McDermott is what they can get, but maybe they can get creative in other ways, right? Like maybe with Siakam in the fold now, they can use him as a screener more to make defenses panic on the perimeter. And yeah, Siakam as a shooter isn't going to make defenses panic and create spacing, but as a screener, as a guy who gets involved in in screener actions, you got to panic a little bit. He can get ahead of steam going to the rim. There are other ways to manufacture spacing. Granted, the the, you have to be good at other offensive stuff to be able to do it. Like DeMar DeRozan still provides spacing and he can't really shoot. So I think that there are other ways for them to do it, but of the options presented, I would say by far, but Doug McDermott is the more capable guy when it comes to potentially replacing Buddy Hill's gravity. A couple more questions to get to before we get you out of here, uh, but before we get to any of them, we have to have to talk about eBay Motors' passion and drive, and patience, what brings home the winning trophy, is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you are looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or you will get your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win on eBay Motors. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. And we are back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, the Sixers signed Darius Baisley. The Bucks signed Ryan Rollins. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. I should be doing better. A couple other signings trickled in throughout Wednesday. Uh, Jalen Martin, who had a draft workout for the Pacers from Overtime Elite, signed with the Nets. Lester Quinones got a promotion with the Warriors. Lots of those shows to get to for the transactions that are coming in after the traded line teams had to fill roster spots, for example, or make various sorts of moves. And we'll cut, get into a trade question right now from Bob Cook. Bob, you always ask good questions and have interesting things to say on Twitter. Thank you for that. At NotGoingPro says, can you explain, and then parentheses again, why second-round picks are such valuable assets and why that is what Buddy Heald fetched? Well, first part of this, um, they're not like – Okay, why why Buddy Heald fetched a second round pick? I have a theory. I don't I don't know this. Right, the Pacers didn't take back any bad salary in the Buddy Heald trade. In fact, from the Sixers, they got two expiring contracts, and in total, they summed more money than Buddy Heald was getting paid this season, but not that much. Right, so he's a better player, obviously, than the two guys they got from the Sixers, Marcus Morris and Vergon Korkmaz. But in terms of just pure finances, they took back no bad money. And then they got McDermott, who is of some positive value around the league. But all that to say, without taking back bag money, I don't think a first-round pick would have been out there for Buddy Heald. And my proof is, or my at least proof uh, via looking at what the Pacers did is, if they could have got a first, 
I would have think they would have done it, right? And so I think my theory is without taking back bad money that would be prohibitive for the Pacers right now with some tax potential concerns coming up and their flexibility now much lower is that they got the best draft pick they could in this trade without taking back bad money. And I think they did a good job of that. They still have flexibility this summer. They could be able now to potentially use their full non-tax MLE to get a rotation player. And they got a pick that should be top 38, top 37. I highly doubt the Raptors are going on a run in the second half of the season. So why second-round picks are valuable? Well, of course it's a draft pick, but the changing landscape of the league in the new CBA is there's this new second round exception. So the problem used to be, and the Pacers would in theory have been impacted by this because they'll be over the cap now next season, is you used to be able to sign second round picks to either a minimum contract, which can only be up to two years in length, or you can sign them to a three or four year deal using cap space, which the Pacers won't have, or part of your mid-level exception. And so teams would have less of their mid-level exception available to sign other players because they use a chunk of it on a second rounder, right? So that like Andrew Nemhard got signed uh, with cap space. For example, that's why his deal is longer than two years, but the Lakers were notorious for like all these two-year deals for their second round picks. But now all of them can get three and four-year deals because of the second round pick exception. And so that makes it more reasonable for really expensive teams to have their full resource of the mid-level exception and get their good second round picks on a fair contract. You know, you don't have to kind of pick one or the other. And so those picks have become slightly more valuable. And thing two is second round picks have lower minimums, right? Years of service minimums uh, when they apply to undrafted players are a little higher than drafted players. And of course, zero years of service is as low as you can have in the NBA. So second round picks are cheaper. So in the new NBA where your exceptions are so valuable because you can trade them and you can do all sorts of stuff, uh, and because second rounders are more valuable because they're cheap potentially if you're running against the apron and because it's a draft pick in general, they have especially the good second rounders that like actually could be of interest. Pacers have done well with the top of the second round. They traded one of those picks in the Isaiah Jackson deal, they add drafted Andrew Nemhard with another. Having that is valuable, right? So even if they don't make a pick with it, if they try to move up, if they use it in a trade for somebody else, there's a lot of ways it could go. It is an, it is more valuable than it was two years ago, even if it's like only very slightly, right? And it's still whatever. The 37th pick is the 37th pick, and it's not a good draft. Uh, at least that's what it's considered. But that does change the value of it. And that was a very wordy answer. But a lot of the dynamics of the league changed, and that's why that's the case. Ryan at the Hasseldhoff says, what defensive change do you most want to see after the All-Star break? And what was the coolest moment for you as a journalist covering All-Star weekend? Yeah, it's hard to say what defensive change I would make because, you know, it's interesting. The big change that helped them defensively earlier in the season when they started Jalen Smith was they had more rebounding on the floor and that size mattered. And so I, I honestly think that Siakam has not been up to the defensive level that I thought he'd be. He's been better offensively, but not as good defensively. And so can he be a little more impactful on the defensive end? It's not really a change, but it's just something I'd be curious about because they were scooping up a ton of rebounds and the size was valuable when they made their December starting lineup change. Well, Siakam has size, but he's not as good of a rebounder as Jalen Smith. So can you get more stops so you don't need the rebounds as often? Like the possession battle becomes less important if you get more stops. And if not, can you find a way to rebound better without sacrificing your transition game? Because the Pacers are so good at that. You know, that's a very, that's not an answer to your question. That's just kind of something I've thought about for them because they had that run where 
You know, I, I talked about this, and this wasn't a compliment, but it was kind of a compliment given how bad the Pacers' defense was at times. When they were playing for like a month and a half, like the 17th best defense in the NBA, that's all they needed. That's all they needed given how good their offense was. Right now they're down to second league in offense. Shout out to the Celtics. But um, if, if they can play top five offense and 17th defense, that's very good. If they're back to being top two offense, bottom four defense, that's not as good. So I don't. in terms of just straight-up changes – I mean, they've just. I think their closeout technique and and is pretty poor. Like when they're rotating a lot, they just get blown by in the perimeter. Being able to stay in front of guys and scramble situations would be the most valuable tweak for the Pacers. It's not even a tweak. It's not even a scheme change. It's just something that they could get better at. I think that would go a long way for them. It's really hard to think of stuff schematically because they don't want to get into drop with Miles Turner. I mean, they, they you're just you'd be rotating too much. You'd be conceding so many pick and rolls. There's so many good jump shooters now. It's just hard without a lot of length to get away with dropping all the time. They just had to kind of be better as individuals, right? All the one, they did so many one-on-one drills in the summer to try to get better in that way. And of course, practice doesn't guarantee success or improvement, but uh, that is what I would think would be the most important thing for them to get better at defensively. What's the coolest moment for you as a journalist covering all-star weekend? Great question. I mean, it's just, for me, it's always like I'm around people who just like crush it as journalists, like I read everything this guy puts out or I listen to a podcast with that guy like four times a week. Like I get starstruck by those people, <laughs> which is really embarrassing. Um, and it was also, of course, the first time I covered that marquee NBA event. I've now done, I would like to do all of them at some point, obviously, but I've now done the draft lottery, the draft combine, all-star and the in-season tournament. Uh, and a play- the playoffs is a thing. I've done that, but you know, the finals and the draft are the two left that I would like to go to and and cover. The draft is a little different just because there's a lot you can gain from being in Indy as well, uh, but especially the finals. And it's hard because I can't just go to that. But, you know, that that's two left. So it was just kind of a checkmark moment for me too of like, okay, this is cool. I got to cover another thing, see what it's all about. Um, and, yeah, just people – people being it being in Indy made it cool too because – I knew more people in the arena and around things. It was just awesome. Uh, and AJ Reese and his four parters is back to close us out. Part one, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? Interesting to ask a, a writer, podcaster this instead of a player. It's um, a good question. One was asking Steph Curry an awful question on a Zoom during the COVID year. Uh, taught me a lot about prepping better. I asked him about Edmund Sumner, and it was like they weren't raising hands. You were just like screaming at Steph Curry through your computer. So I blurted it out really poorly, and I got a bad answer. And I deserved a bad answer because the question was bad. Um, one was, I think about this a lot. Like I'm around tall guys all the time, right? Like everyone in the NBA is tall. So 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 height doesn't like start. You know, you don't. I don't look up at tall guys, and I'm like so taken back, starstruck of like, whoa, that dude's seven four. But the first time I saw Boban, I was like. Whoa, Boban is huge. I, I just can't explain why he looks so different than other guys. Um, and I think in person, like just covering a playoff series with LeBron in it was a welcome to the NBA moment too. What are you looking forward to seeing from teams other than the Pacers? That's a great question. The Bucks, are the most interesting team in the league to me now. They're not playing well with Doc. Can they figure it out? The, the second air quotes half of the season. Uh, or not? Or are they going to be a team with a lot of roster questions going forward? They'll be fascinating to me. Are the Cavs as good as their recent stretch? And then in the West, who is what? Who is great? Who is good? Who is not? Their top teams are so close. 
They could have the greatest play-in tournament of all time if the if the Warriors and Lakers are in it. And maybe even like a rivalry Suns-Mavs play-in game could be there. Or maybe the Kings are, are playing the Warriors for a Northern California spot in the playoffs. Like it, the West is awesome. And so just in general, watching how the standings unfold like every three days will be crazy out there. Three, Tyrese hinted at a possible uniform change recently. <laughs> Thoughts on what you'd like says what you've heard. Haven't heard anything. Um... What I would like, I mean, they did this year what I've wanted for a long time. I thought it would be cool for the Pacers to have a jersey that says Indy or Indianapolis, even though the Indiana Pacers, I just think leaning more into the local part would be cool, especially they did it correctly this year to me with the city, quote, city edition. I love that they did that. Um, Somehow leaning more into that with their third jersey would be cool to me, but it's kind of hard to just do rebrands, right? Like it takes a lot of thinking and it takes the right timing and they're not necessarily in the perfect time to do so. Like it would be like when Tyrese Halbert's time with the Pacers ends would be a good time to do uniform changes. Ironically enough, giving the phrasing of this question. Um, I don't know. I like really boring jerseys. Like I think the Celtics and the Bulls have my favorite uniform structures in the NBA. Lakers are really good. Like there's too much, there's too much color and pop and, you know, people always say they want the 90s jerseys back. I I disagree. I like, oh, the Heat have good jerseys. Um, now I'm just thinking about uniforms. The Spurs have good uniforms. Uh, for example, to me, for what's the timeline on filling that 15th roster spot? I can't believe this is the last question. I thought this would be the, one of the first ones I got uh, when I put this out, funnily enough. Uh, there is no actual timeline. So the reason that some teams have timelines when it comes to roster spots is if you only, you have to have 14 guys under contract. Uh, when you for a, a percentage of days, basically, so you can't go more than two weeks without having it filled. So teams that got down to 13 roster spots because they're juggling the tax or because the trader went more players than they got, they had to sign somebody. Uh, the trade deadline was now 12 days away, 13 days away, actually, of me talking right now, right? So some teams that had to sign a guy, for example, the, but the Pacers have 14, they don't have 13. So they are not required from a timeline perspective to sign a player. That said, I mean, it, right now it's 21st. You know, perhaps I thought it'd be interesting for them to sign a 10 day guy, maybe like right after the All Star game or right after All Star weekend. And then just have it expire right when the buyout market kind of forms and it becomes obvious who's there. They could even still do that. They could do that on Wednesday or Thursday. And then that 10-day would end, you know, March 1st, March 2nd, whatever, right when the buyout market's done forming or being fully formed. And then see if there's someone out there that actually makes sense for them. But, I mean, they're such a deep team. Like, it's hard to think of a buyout guy who's good enough that they would play for the Pacers and would also be bought out by their former team. So, you know, they're an interesting spot in terms of filling that with what makes the most sense perhaps the answer is just a vet again you know another James Johnson vet, someone who's not going to require minutes but will still be a positive asset to your team and it's not again required for them to fill it we'll see but I mean if you if you are willing to spend the money as an organization it is preferable to have someone there than not Mike if I were running the Pacers what I would try to have done is just sniff someone in for a 10 day and then sign somebody on a buyout market if possible uh, but it's hard. You know, the bio market's going to be tough for them because it's going to be hard for them to find somebody who's impactful enough to actually be able to play for them <laughs> uh, down the rest of the season and and not, you know, complain if they aren't playing. We'll see. Lots of fun stuff coming. Games are back tomorrow. And a guest is back tomorrow. Will Fur will join us to talk about the biggest storylines for the Pacers for the second, air quotes, half 
It's not the second half. It's the last like third, but whatever, of the season post-All-Star break. And then, of course, we'll be talking Pacers-Pistons on Friday, heading into their weekend of fun. Thank you all for listening today and submitting questions. Much appreciated. I like doing mailbag stuff and learning about what people are interested in or stuff I haven't covered well enough here. Plenty more to come here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. Hope you enjoyed the All-Star coverage. Back to normal tomorrow. Have a wonderful day. We will see you soon.